Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, the ACLU files a lawsuit to block the state's restrictive abortion law. The Supreme Court issues a decision that will give the state legislature expanded freedom to draw voting districts along partisan lines, and Democrats have now finished their first round of presidential debates. Political Rewind starts now. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We have so much ground to cover today that I want to get right to our panel and start talking about the issues. Jim Galloway, of course, is with us. He's the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC. Mr. Galloway, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Got lots and lots and lots to go Yes, to. yes, we do. And we're going to start uh, getting into it as soon as we say hello to Brian Robinson, Republican uh, who was the uh, communications director in the first term of Governor Nathan Deal. And then you sort of got out of partisan politics, and now you work on policy uh, uh, efforts uh, and various uh, public policy issues that matter to you. You're not campaign strategist these days. Fair enough? I do some sort of. I do some political uh, <laughs> communications work because I can't help myself, essentially. <laughs> do you have a candidate in this cycle that we should know about? Well, yeah, you know, I'm doing a little bit of work for oh, you're congressional. Doing, yes, congressional you're doing race. Renee yeah. Blumenthal, some of that, right? Renee Unterman? I mean, Renee Unterman. <laughs> I'm off to a bad start on a show where we've got an awful lot to talk about. Uh, Stacey Evans is here, too. Hi, Stacey. Stacey, of course, former state representative, Democrat who ran for governor back in uh, uh, against Stacey Abrams and uh, now is in private practice. Uh, and we're always glad to have you here. Thanks for being here, Stacey. Thanks for having me. And we're really pleased to be able to welcome Andrea Young. Andrea is the executive director of the Georgia ACLU. You're, you're the headline news <laughs> of the day, Andrea. Thank you for being here Great. for today. Great. So glad to be here. So let's uh, start by pointing out that at 9 o'clock this morning, you have filed, on behalf of a number of other plaintiffs, right. a lawsuit to block implementation of HB 481, right. the restrictive Georgia abortion law, which right. is set to go into effect on January 1st of next year. Right. I'm going to uh, read, if you don't mind, mm -hmm. the introduction to it. Uh, you say in your suit... This law is an affront to the dignity and health of Georgians. It is in particular an attack on low-income Georgians, Georgians of color and rural Georgians, who are least able to ac access medical care and least able to overcome the cruelties of this law. Georgians face a critical shortage of reproductive health care providers, including obstetrician, gynecologists, and the rate at which Georgians, particularly black Georgians, die from pregnancy-related causes is among the highest in the nation. And you go on to say in the introduction to the lawsuit that you felt that's where the legislature should have put its effort is on rem remedying those problems rather than stopping abortion entirely. So um, right there, you set up an argument based on social conditions, but your lawsuit also takes this on from a legal point of right, view. Right. So for almost 50 years, women have had the right to make these personal decisions for themselves without government interference. 
Um, there's no woman of childbearing age in the state of Georgia that knows what it's like to live without that right to make those very personal, very private decisions for themselves and how disruptive it would be to lose them. Um, and to be very clear, this law would take that right away. Uh, six weeks is before any of us know whether or not we're pregnant. You know, I'm a mother and grandmother, so I've been through this personally and I've been through it with my daughter. Um, and it's so, it, you know, we have this right under the Constitution as interpreted by the Supreme Court in 1973. So the ACLU and our other partners, Planned Parenthood, Center for Constitutional Rights, Feminist Women's Health Center, Sister Song, uh, Planned Parenthood Southeast, we're actually in the conservative position here. We're defending the status quo um, that women in Georgia have the right to choose, and we're fighting to keep it that way. Jim, there was no question. Everybody was waiting for this lawsuit. We knew it was uh, coming, and uh, now, now it's here, and it's going to be interesting to watch how the courts uh, look at it as it unfolds. No, no, look, this, this, this HB 41 was passed, and Governor Kemp signed it with the intention of creating a vehicle that would somehow get to the U.S. Supreme Court and give them an opportunity to, to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, uh, Andrea, uh, early this morning, we, we found out that the U.S. Supreme Court was not going to grant cert, uh, uh, was not going to take up uh, Alabama, uh, an injunction against Alabama's uh, anti-abortion law, which is, is, is even more uh, strict than, mm -hmm. than Georgia's. Mm -hmm. Do you take that as any kind of signal? Well, you know, we're, we're not trying to leave, read tea leaves. We are assuming that judges will continue to follow the law and um, and we'll see you know when judges rule what they actually what, say just about if, that. if you could give everybody yeah. just what, what's an yeah. estimated time frame for for how this might move right well we certainly hope it moves very quickly we'll, we're prepared to push it as quickly as possible because it goes because, into effect January because it 1st, goes into yeah. effect but also you know this is frightening to women this is of course having an impact on Georgia's economic climate um, there are, you know, women having to make decisions whether they want to accept a job in Georgia, do they want to come to school here, uh, if this is going to be the law. So people are having to make decisions now. So we, would, we will certainly urge for this to be stayed as soon as possible um, for an injunction to be granted. I, mm -hmm. I apologize. I didn't want to, didn't mm -hmm. want to interrupt. Um, you've got your lawsuit really addresses mm -hmm. two issues here. Mm -hmm. One is uh, that you believe that uh, HB 481 uh, is a uh, in violation of the right to privacy, which mm -hmm. is Supreme Court, mm -hmm. as you say, ruled on in 73, mm -hmm. uh, which is what was mm -hmm. the underpinning for Roe v. Wade. But your lawsuit also addresses what you see as the problems of the so-called personhood provisions of right. HB 481, right. and you suggest that there are implications in the Georgia right. Code right. that could be enormous in terms right. of what happens right. if this is allowed to stand. Well, you see what just happened in Alabama, you know, where a woman is prosecuted because someone shot her and her fetus was killed. And so there's no way to know, you know, and that's one of the, that this is an unconstitutionally vague uh, assertion and no one knows what the implications are. Yeah, we should, be. to make that clear, right. the woman was pregnant. The accusation is that she got into a fight with someone else. That fight led to her being shot. The fetus was killed and she was arrested. And the person who, 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 fired, the, who yeah. fired the shot is not being prosecuted. Yeah. Um, Brian Robinson, you know, Jim Galloway makes an interesting point. 
the all of the states which have passed uh, these highly restrictive abortion laws seem to be have the same posture, which is we want to get this to the U.S. Supreme Court. So um, while the pro-choice side of this may be delighted that the lawsuit has now been filed and perhaps the law in Georgia will be at least temporarily blocked, in, in some ways, this is exactly what, as Jim points out, everybody's looking for, an opportunity to have a lawsuit that the Supreme Court will take on. Well, I think everybody knew from the very beginning that this was coming. Right. And we figured that, that you know, her group, amongst others, would be at the forefront of that. And uh, what, we're, what they're looking for is a, is a new national standard. And I don't know that it's going to be a complete reversal of Roe v. Wade, but the pro-life advocates are certainly hoping for greater uh, uh, abilities to restrict uh, the access to abortion uh, and, from their perspective, save lives. And that's how they, they, they see this. It's, uh, I know there's very compelling arguments in, in the uh, brief that they filed, uh, but for pro-life folks, they, bring, they look at it very differently. They see it as saving people's lives. And so it, this is a fight that they're willing to take on. Stacy, you want to jump in? Absolutely. I, I think, I still think this was a political mistake on the part of the Republicans to push this bill forward in Georgia. Um, I think it's been, um, it's created a lot of uncertainty in our state and our economy, and that's not good for anybody. And I think it's interesting. I do think the Republicans, and not just in Georgia, but elsewhere, are hoping to get a case up to the Supreme Court so that Roe v. Wade can be overturned. That's what folks want. But the Supreme Court just sent us a very strong message that they may not want to mess with any of this when they rejected uh, hearing the case um, from Alabama from a, from a prior law that was passed. So I'm not sure that Republicans are going to get their wish on this. And in the meantime, they're going to have hurt themselves very much politically. And for states that have done it like Georgia, they may have cost themselves some jobs. Um, Andrea and, and Stacey, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Andrea, when we were, uh, when we talked to, uh, uh, a day a day ago uh, about the social implications mm -hmm. about taking Roe away. Mm -hmm. can, can, can you two speak to what impact uh, Roe had on your careers, uh, your the ability to to plan a career, to time time uh, childbearing years? Well, I, to 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 your point earlier, it's not something that I ever even thought about. Mm -hmm. um, I, we've lived in a world where um, I've lived in a world where. I wanted to go to law school, I could go to law school. I wanted to work in a big firm, I could work in a big firm. Um, I had the support I needed when I decided to have children, and honestly, I've never thought about it. And that's what's so scary about this, is now we're, we're upending the system where women have finally gotten to a place where we're starting to feel equal in the workplace, and we may be going backwards, and that's another devastating result of this. Andrea? Yeah. Well, you know, I've always advised young women, you have to plan your reproductive life as part of your career. You cannot, ha you know, when you, um, you see one of the effects, of course, women are having children later um, in, in this era. That gives us time to finish our education, uh, to get established in our careers. You know, we don't have, we certainly in Georgia do not have protections for pregnant, if you're employed as a pregnant woman, uh, you better have a little clout in your career if you're going to, you know, have, uh, be able to t get the prenatal care and get the leave that you need. So, you know, it it is a very, there are a lot of calculations that go into um, uh, planning your career as a woman around also then when do you want to be a mom or if you want to be a mom at all. Um, and the idea that the government would then interfere with how women and couples make that decision 
um, just doesn't reflect our realities today. You know, I don't think the politics are going to be nearly as cut and dried as what many Democrats think. And I think Stacey sort of alluded to where the Democrats see this. They say it is a big political win. The last Democratic speech on the floor of the Senate the day that this passed was, you take away our rights, we take away your seats. And I think that that has become a widely held belief amongst state Democrats that this is an all political good. They're just going to have this wipeout election. And what we've seen in the polling, Bill, is that the state is much more divided on this than what we hear in the Metro Atlanta-centric echo chamber, that if you look statewide, yes, the opposition does have a slight advantage. I fully acknowledge that. I think anybody who's looked at polling would acknowledge that. But what surprised people in Atlanta, I'm sure surprised Democrats, was that the support for the heartbeat bill was as high as it was. So this but was that's actually because you call it a heartbeat bill, and the heartbeat, it's not a heart. Uh, it's, it's not even a fetus. It's embryonic cardiac activity. And so you label it something that evokes, you know, a full-term baby. And that's not what's, and that's not where, I would where the say line pro, is. I would it's say not, pro-choice is messaging, too. It is not what the line <laughs> is, drawn, is drawn here. We all yes, use it is messaging. choice. Because, you know, women of faith have the mix of choices that they choose to make. Sure, it's messaging. And they are not there to impose their faith on other people. ACLU is also a First Amendment organization that... The government is not to impose one religious viewpoint on people who don't share that view. The, the government is to be neutral on religion. And this bill and the discussions around it are so about faith and not science. It's not evidence-based. It's not based, the medical testimony. Mm -hmm. The Georgia uh, Medical Association all went to oppose 481, and yet it was passed anyway over the objections of medical professionals who testify. Mm -hmm. um, I want to uh, share with you uh, all something that Ed Setzler said. And, of course, Ed Setzler is the Republican from Ackworth who was the author of the so-called heartbeat bill. When he uh, uh, was asked about this lawsuit, he said that the Living Infants Fairness and Equality Act HB 481 protects helpless unborn children from a violent death and recognizes the human rights they deserve. With 19 million black children killed since 1973, I'm so sad that Sister Song, the lead plaintiff in this with ACLU, is suing to continue uh, the killing. So, so, so Sister Song is our is our client. Right. Sister Song is a reproductive justice organization. And this is bullying. I have to, I have, you know, it is plantation patriarchy mentality, that we had a legacy in this, in this country of controlling black women and their bodies and their self-determination, and this is rooted in that ideology, and it is extremely offensive for him to say that. I, you know, one of the things I, I read, read that for, Stacey, is the argument on the other side of this, the, the, the pro-life side of this, I mean, they, we talk a lot about this having been a political decision in some ways by the governor. The governor went along, signed this uh, because he made a commitment to, to it during his campaign, felt he had to uh, give this to the base that elected him. And because his bill wasn't going anywhere. And because his bill, which would have deferred action on all of this until after the Supreme Court ruled, wasn't going to get any traction at all. But there are people out there for whom this is a genuinely moral cause. And it, it's, it, it's, so you've got, you balance between what Andrea is talking about, uh, women who are not getting the care they deserve in childbirth, and these pro-life forces that believe they're doing something that is absolutely in the moral interests of all of us. How do you deal with that balance? 
Well, first of all, let me say, I think it shows a weakness on Kemp's part that the bill that he wanted to get moved wouldn't move. Yeah. And that would have been a much more, uh, much safer political mm. space for him. And nothing would be happening right now. The bill said if Roe versus Wade is overturned, then no abortion allowed in Georgia. That, that's a much different posture to be in. Um, as far as the, 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 moral, the moral cause here, it's, it's religion. It's a religious belief. It's a, it's a, it's a faith-based belief. It's, it's your own moral compass. Whatever that moral compass tells you, te it tells you. It doesn't allow you to tell other people what their morals should be or what their faith should be or what their religion should be. What we should be doing is letting women and their families and their doctors and their gods make these decisions. And the doctor part of this is so important. We want to attract good medical professionals here. How many good medical professionals do you think are going to move here who get told how to run their practice by the government. This is a medical procedure, oftentimes out of desperate necessity for something that is going to go wrong with the fetus, something that's gonna go wrong with the woman, and to take that tool out of the doctor's toolbox is frankly ridiculous. And I have to add one other thing for my friend Ed Sutzler from my old Cobb County delegation. He continues in that statement to talk about things that he knows nothing about. He knows nothing about those stats that he's um, pretending to know about. Just like when he was on the floor of the house and he pretended like he knew when a woman would know she was pregnant. And since he thought in his mind that women get their periods, and let's just talk about it, let's just talk about what it is. He said they get them every 28 days. And so certainly by six weeks, if it hasn't come, they're going to know they're pregnant. Well, I'm willing to bet that Ed Sletzer's never had a menstrual period <laughs> and doesn't understand that they're not as regular as some men. Andrea, your, your lawsuit addresses that very specifically, that the, the, when a woman is likely to yeah. learn uh, what, what it, it addresses menstrual, Cycles. It addresses when a woman is likely to learn that yeah. she is pregnant or yeah. when she's missed a cycle, what she may be thinking. You yeah. talk about that quite specifically in the lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, and so this, again, this idea that this, you know, this stage is, is not, that this is not an abortion ban. This is why we call it an abortion ban, because it sets up, you know, it's, it sets up a time frame um, that, is is not reasonable. It's not a reasonable opportunity for a woman to, um, to get an abortion under, you know, and anyone who uh, who understands the medical realities of this would know that. And so this was said. So much of the the discussion and test just this bill just overlooks um, the the medical evidence. It's not evidence based. It's not scientific. It is based on people's faith and pers and personal belief. And people are entitled to their personal belief, but not to have the government enforce it on the rest of us. Well, Brian, you made a point earlier that that I think you're right. The the needle has moved increasingly toward people being having some concerns about abortion. Uh, Gallup released a poll. Uh, f uh, the most current poll on abortion, and what they found was that 53% of adults believe that abortion should be legal only under certain circumstances, whereas 25% favor it being legal with no restrictions, and 21% who think it should be completely illegal. So there's much bigger split yeah, on, on this than, than a lot of people may think at this point. You know, I'm of the personal belief in taking partisan politics and, and talking points out of this. I think that most Americans are somewhere in the gray area. 
I don't think most Americans agree with what they're doing in Illinois, where a woman has a fundamental right to abortion, and until that baby is born, that woman has a right to do whatever she wants to with her pregnancy. Most Americans think that's extreme, and most of us are somewhere in the middle. And, and granted, Georgia's law and these new laws are probably more conservative than where middle America is, certainly. But if you are someone who believes it's a baby, and it's not, and maybe it is a, a religious belief. I know that many, and I know Mr. Setzler, and I know Governor Kemp, they are people of faith. So they do, they are driven by the idea that, that God has created this human life. Let me make sure, and Jim, I want to get you back in here. You just said, when we get away from talking points, I just want to be careful about something. Are, are, are you suggesting that what Andrea and Stacy are doing is repeating talking points? I Because that's not... Because now, I hear, I think this entire debate nationwide is driven by talking points by people who only see it from their partisan perspective, and I'm saying that most Americans don't see it from those partisan perspectives. They they don't think that we have an unending right to an abortion at at eight months, for example, to to end a, a pregnancy unless the, the, the life of the but mother. But see, that's where you move, you move the discussion to the extremes. That's not what this bill does, and that's it's, what some of the I, confusion I'm of naming talking, an abortion talking much more is, is, is intended to evoke. Uh, what, but we don't. But but that's not no, what that's we not have saying. in Georgia. I'm we have a bill. We're Americans... facing a bill right now that has a six-week ban on abortion, right. which is not even, which is embryonic, uh, embryonic stage with no cardiac, with cardiac activity that's basically coming from the woman's body. If you want to get into the medical technicalities of it, I also resent that pe there are many people of faith who do not share the view. I am one of them. The Jewish faith is often, you know, in that, that many people of faith do not share the view that, you know, life begins at conception. So it is a particular faith that has that view. And I resent also being implied that I, that I who grew up no in one, the no first congregational church, 150 years of serving Atlanta, is not a person of well, faith. Well, I don't even so say many, it's particular no, people. No one said that. It's not even particular faith. And yeah. so I think it is... Um, you know, so I think that this is this is a very important it's a it's a very important matter. But we, but as we're talking about this case in Georgia today, we need to stay you know clear on what it is that's at stake. Yeah, right let now, me so. let me bring it back there. And Jim, you want to jump in? I will say this: I would love to for that. We're only going to talk about this particular uh, measure for a few more minutes. The lawsuit. Uh, I'd love to try to focus it specifically on what this lawsuit. Uh, does do, and I, I know we're all he people get heated about this issue, uh, and and so I sort of respect all of you for your opinions, but I want to make sure we stay sort of on track with this. Jim, uh, last uh, question. Yeah, Andre, it's it's uh, you've got there. It seems to me there's two elements with the bill. Number one, you're defending Roe v. Wade, mm -hmm. uh, a 46 year old decision, and and you're addressing the the personhood uh, element, the the fact that that this gives legal status. To, to an embryo that's that's only a, a few weeks old mm -hmm. and and, it, and gives it legal status mm -hmm. equate uh, equal to that of the mother mm -hmm. which one does which one will the or is a judge likely to pick up on well, is, it, is it likely to be the, to the the, the president right, or this right. new element that the sta state of Georgia is injecting so into? Our, so our so our our position is that the is a, even the personhood is just a scaffolding to overturn Roe v. Wade, and so the real focus is the protection of Roe v. Wade as a legal as the constitutional standard, and that the personhood is part, and and the other elements are really intended to to try to create some sense of where there is a change to justify. Uh, to justify overturning the precedent. Brian, do you, when you look at the personhood elements of this, 
Um, and, and there is a difference between, I mean, there, obviously there's strong feeling that six weeks f among many people is really um, completely irresponsible and, and, and damaging to women. But the personhood aspects of this bring it to a whole new dimension. Are you eager to defend the personhood part of this measure, which they're also taking on in their lawsuit, or do you think that's problematic? Let me explain it, Let me, rather than, than before or against. You know, there is a legal strategy involved with having that in there. You know, it has to do with, as it's going through the federal system, if the federal courts will accept that that fetus is a person, right. that changes the ballgame. Yeah, and, and, that, and that plays into what Roe v. Wade says. Which it, is why it's part of their lawsuit, which is right. precisely so it's, what it's, it's, uh, Andrea mentioned. It's, it's a, a legal strategy. It's, it's not because the people who supported this bill want to be able to count fetuses in the census next year when we count federal. That's not what it's about. This is about a legal strategy to get what pro-life advocates want to happen on the federal level. Andrea, let's finish up this particular mm -hmm. part of the conversation. Uh, based on what I, I recognize, and I'm asking you uh, to play sort of a guessing game, but based on what you've seen in every court that's been asked at a lower level right. to, uh, to stop, to block at least temporarily similar abortion bills, are you fairly confident that uh, the Northern District is likely to want to uh, hold this and see it passed on to a higher court? In other words, stop implementation, put a, uh, uh, a freeze on it? Right. Well, I, I, I will say, Sean would not say that, our legal director, but I'll say that I'm fairly confident that, uh, that the lower court will follow what is currently the, the, you know, the law and the, and the precedent. And a, and a 46-year-old president okay. uh, in the United States. Stacey, you want to get a last word in here before we take a break, or are you satisfied? I mean, everybody got passionate <laughs> about this, so I want to give everybody yeah, a chance. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a big day. Um, that was a, it was a big day when that bill was passed. We all knew there was going to be ramifications from it, and I'm going to be interested to see the lawsuit play out. I, I agree. I think it would be impossible for a lower court judge to do anything other than put an injunction on this, on this law because it violates the law of the land. Um, and I'll be interested in following this debate. I, I, I will just I will say this one last thing. I think a lot of folks that voted for this bill, I'd be very curious to ask them, what do you think a six-week uh, six pregnant woman looks like? And I think I'd be very curious, because I think a lot of folks that maybe have voted for this bill picture something very different than the reality, because a woman who's six weeks pregnant looks like one who's not pregnant. Okay. And I bet you a lot of people think the opposite. All right. That's the last word of this segment. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of Supreme Court decisions that are already uh, 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 probably going to start having some uh, major impacts right here in the state of Georgia. We'll be back with more on Political Rewind in just a moment. GPB's fiscal year ends on June 30th. At this critical time, we remind you that listener support makes all the programs you hear on GPB possible. Help us end the year strong and your contribution will be matched dollar for dollar. Thanks to a generous challenge from Pembroke Advanced Communications, Mariana Height, and Elizabeth Norman. Please go to gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. And thank you. Abigail Disney's grandfather co-founded the multi-billion dollar entertainment company that makes her an unexpected critic of the current CEO's salary. When Bob Iger's $65 million payday turned out to be 1,400 times the salary of this median wage worker, 
It just seemed to me that it was time to say enough was enough. Abigail Disney's campaign against wealth inequality this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Jim Galloway, we waited for weeks and weeks to see the Supreme Court uh, hand down rulings in a couple of very important cases, cases that will have an impact right here in Georgia. They did it yesterday. Uh, the first one that we ought to look at is they took up a case to determine whether partisan gerrymandering was, in fact, constitutional. We know that racial gerrymandering is not. That happened a long time ago. Uh, and, of course, there were many passionate arguments for uh, eliminating partisan gerrymandering as well. Uh, the, court, the court said, nope, we don't have any jurisdiction here. We're not going to stick our noses into a partisan, into a partisan political fight. They, they, they slammed the door. Uh, I mean, and, and to basically say the, 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 uh, the, the uh, uh, courts had no dog in that particular fight. Uh, it's it's an it's an interesting decision. It's going to what it's going to do is it's going to push the uh, the fight over redistricting into the state legislatures where it's where it has been before. It's going to in Georgia. It's going to to uh, make for a very very tense uh, 2020 election in house in specifically in house districts because that's where Democrats are closest to taking control. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a 15, 15 seat gap right now between uh, Republicans and, and Democrats. There, uh, uh, Justice Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, wrote the opinion. In fact, he wrote the opinion in both of the cases we're going to look at today, uh, the majority opinion. And in looking at partisan gerrymandering, he made the point that I essentially did. Uh, in his ruling, he said this: there are no legal standards discernible in the Constitution for the court making such. Judgments. They passed the ball on this, um, mm -hmm. and as we'll see in a minute, uh, there was a minority uh, uh, opinion on this as well. There are people who think the Supreme Court really missed an opportunity to take an important action here. They absolutely did, and um, my predecessor in the House, Rob Tillet, said this, so I, I want to give him credit for it. He may have heard it from someone else, so he'll have to give credit for that. But he said if, if one day folks will look back at the ability of computers to draw computer districts as yeah. perhaps the downfall of our democracy. And mm. the court did everything in its power with this decision to help that along. Mm. Uh, we, we are in a situation now where the court has said it's absolutely fine for representatives to choose the partisanship of the voters that they want as opposed to the voters deciding who they want their representatives yeah. to be. And certainly these districts can still be um, challenged based on race and, race and ethnicity, but the court has green-lighted partisanship at its worst. You know, there, there are many things in the Constitution that maybe aren't spelled out specifically how the country needs to run. This is one where there is no gray area. The Constitution very explicitly, and somehow this is never in any of these stories that I've seen. I've read a lot of stories on this case that came out um, this week. None point out that the Constitution explicitly gives legislatures complete discretion over how they draw these districts. And the court, if it's going to stay true to the Constitution, had no choice but to do what it did. It well, may not be the political outcome that some groups want. And I'm sure Republicans in Maryland probably don't like this either because Democrats they are. In Democrats in Maryland. No, 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 no. Republicans in Maryland probably don't <laughs> like the ruling. I, I want to make clear, though, this is based on two cases. Yeah, a case of Democrats Democrat in Maryland who were 
who were gerrymandering to their advantage yes. and Republicans in North Carolina who were doing the same thing to their advantage. That's think, all I wanted to So this is not clear. a Democrat versus Republican thing. There are places, my point is, there are places in this country where Republicans are hurt by gerrymandering. Which is why when people have an opportunity to vote in a ballot initiative, they support a nonpartisan commission process. Mm -hmm. and, and that's we have a bit and we thank you. I hope you'll help the ACLU <laughs> with the bill that we have. But it shouldn't because be. we would very much like to have a nonpartisan uh, process for redistricting in the state of Georgia. And we have a bill to, to, to have transparency, to have reviewability, and to have standards that are agreed on before redistricting happens so that we can have a process that's not, you know, governed by uh, try people trying to get partisan. Because you're right, when when Democrats have the advantage, they do it. When Republicans have the advantage, they do it. Exactly. And, and yep. politicians should not be picking their voters. Voters need to pick their representatives. The one thing that really bothers me in, in this Supreme Court decision, Bill, is, is the fact that, in particular, in the South, race and political destiny are so entwined. So yeah, closely it's very hard together. to separate partisan gerrymandering from racial gerrymandering and, in the you know, South. And it's the same thing. And, and the court has condemned racial yeah. gerrymandering. Right. But but if you you know if you if you say that you're going to go by voting performance, right. then then that's okay. But okay. that's it's it's it, in the North Carolina case it was it was purely it was, it was purely a cover let's right. um and that's the thing the standard for demonstrating that it's also racially motivated is also so unattainably high so um justice kagan uh, brian make says uh, stacy that uh it's clear that the Supreme Court has no right to interfere. This is clearly something the legislators have the right to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are clearly many people on the other side of that, legal of uh, scholars who say the Supreme Court has been able to get involved in many uh, issues that typically maybe they should be staying away from. And this was an example of that to those who supported eliminating uh, partisan gerrymandering, making it unconstitutional. Justice Kagan in dissenting said something that was... Um, Pretty important. She said, the practices challenged in these cases imperil our system of government. Part of the court's role in that system is to defend its foundations. None is more important than free and fair elections. That's exactly right. And there's plenty of judges and uh, along the way that would disagree with you and a lot of good lawyers, obviously, that argued uh, the opposite side of, of the case. But that's that's why we have that's why we have judges. Lawyers make their arguments. Um, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to watch the next election cycle. And for for any Georgia voters out there who are listening, uh, who are upset about this, you have the ability to do something about it. Because if mm -hmm. Democrats, and this is true for Georgia, and I, I get that Democrats do this too when they're in charge. So I'm not I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but this is our reality. If Democrats can get control of one chamber, so that we have a real decisive role in redistricting uh, in the next session, which will be 2021. Um, that's that's how we have to do it. We have to get control of one house, and we have a chance to get control of the Georgia House, and then we could block any uh, any partisan gerrymandering, and it would really force both sides to do the right thing. It it would be our best chance to get approval for a, a nonpartisan redistricting commission. G I hopefully think we can do that. Jim said it, Brian. I mean, all, the stakes for the 2020 <laughs> legislative races were already really high because Democrats believe they're in shooting dis uh, a distance of winning. Uh, control of the House. They now, yes. now, with the Supreme Court essentially saying, it's up to you 
do it at the, in the legislatures around the country, the stakes have just grown astronomical. They really have. There's a lot of eyeballs. And I've said this numerous times. I feel like in the last couple of cycles, national Democrats have taken Georgia much more seriously as a, as a battleground than Republicans have. Look, 2018 was the turning point. Republic Democrats had some major pickups, some pretty significant ones. And some of their flips from the, the last cycle, such as Jen Jordan's Senate seat, for example, became much more strongly Democrat mm -hmm. in that cycle. So that battleground in the House is hugely important. Stacey is right. The Democrats get a foothold that can stop anything in the legislature, particularly that redistricting map that'll come out in 2021. Mm -hmm. So this is, everybody says this is the most important election of our lifetime. That's usually hooey. In 2020 in Georgia, <laughs> on, on the local level, it may be one of the most important of our lives. Andrea, how much does what Stacy suggested, the scenario she painted of a divided uh, legislature, uh, play into what you are hoping to accomplish? Could a one-party control, control of the legislature they're not going to pass yeah, what you're suggesting, right. no, are they? I think the best, the, the best case scenario for getting to a place where we have nonpartisan nonpartisan redistricting, where there's transparency, you know, where people see that where we don't do all of this, you know, um, trading voters, you know, in uh, in off-season elections and <clears throat> off-season sessions, um, that all that gets put to a stop if you have divided control um, of the legislature and. You know, the best case for that is that, you know, Democrats have control of the House and Republicans have control of the Senate. Then they have to actually craft mm -hmm. a bipartisan compromise on how to do this in a way that's really fair and give the people of Georgia an opportunity to actually vote for can for candidates that reflect their priorities. You know, I mean, I think th this the 481 is a, is a result of extreme gerrymandering because, you know, they... Um, you know, it only passed the House by two votes, yeah. and uh, and I would imagine there was a fair amount of, uh, of arm twisting even to get that to happen. Right. I tell you, I really do. I, I'm. I, I want to make it very clear that I'm torn on this because I agree with Stacy that our ability to pinpoint voters by both parties has hurt our democracy. I think it has it has made worse the polarization and our inability to even talk to each other. And I, I think it is, is tragic. At the same time, I do encourage people to read what the Constitution says about it, and I think that they will roll their eyes at the lawyers who would say something different, because however, however I feel about it personally and what our country needs and what is best for our democracy, I think the Constitution is very clear. But, Jim, here's what gerrymandering has done. If you go back to, uh, say, 2012 and look at the election results, Democrats won across country some million-plus votes more than Republicans, and yet... Republicans took control of the majority of legislative seats. Gerrymandering allows you to lose an election uh, and win the seats that you otherwise <coughs> would have lost. On the federal level, yeah. On the federal level, it. Uh, I think uh, Republicans now control 22 states. Yeah. Uh, Democrats control 14 states. Uh, that means that, say, well, the best example was in that North Carolina case where you had a state lawmaker mm -hmm. getting up on camera and saying, I wanted to create a map that would give us 10 Republican uh, <laughs> members of Congress and three Democrats, and the only reason I did that was because I couldn't... I couldn't do 11, 11 and 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's, that's the right. difference, and that's what, right. you know, it's... it's uh, this is... 
I think you could probably expect more of this because, look, Republicans are facing a demographic challenge. And every time they're faced with that demographic challenge, trying to widen that tent, they choose not to. They, that's, that's, what, that's what 2016 was all about. So your only alternative, if you're going to maintain power, if, uh, is, is to, uh, is, is to um, adjust those districts. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of, uh, of the whole issue of maintaining power, Stacey Evans, the other thing that we've been waiting for the court to tell us about was whether or not uh, the Census Bureau would be able to add a citizenship question mm -hmm. to the 2020 census. The background on it, very quickly, is that uh, Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross insisted that the Justice Department asked him, overse mm -hmm. as the overseer of the census, to put the question in so they could deal with the Voter Rights Act. Mm -hmm. It became clear that wasn't entirely correct. He was essentially misleading the yep. court. They made the argument in front of the Supreme Court uh, that, in fact, it was being done to eliminate people, and in Georgia, it would be something like 177,000-plus mm -hmm. people who might not be be counted because with the citizenship question, the argument is there are many uh, minorities, Hispanics particularly, who'd be afraid to answer the question. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, although the court kicked it, back, said this needs to be reviewed at a lower level, mm -hmm. but they did make it just to get Justice Roberts again, Chief Justice, mm -hmm. essentially uh, said. They told us they told us a lie about why they'd added this mm -hmm. question. Yeah, it seemed like the court thought very much that it was a pretext uh, for what for what they really wanted to do, and for any state elected official or anyone who has control over a budget should be jumping up and down that this happened, jumping up and down with joy, because the worst thing to happen for this state would be for us to undercount people. Um, and then for us to get less money, and then guess what? Those folks are still going to show up at hospitals. They're still going to show up at community centers. They're still going to show up at schools. And we have less federal money to add to our budget to take care of these folks. So I hope that all the Republicans in charge of the budding, budgeting process here in Georgia are very happy today. A Andrea, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the census bureau itself said mm -hmm. we think there will be an undercount of at mm -hmm. least 6.3-some mm -hmm. million people. And as, 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 as uh, Stacy points out, this is a count that goes towards federal funding for many, many projects that states need. Yeah, I know. I mean, and this is this is a battle, you know, every 10 years to get an accurate count. It's difficult and challenging to get an, African, uh, an a uh, accurate count uh, of uh, people of color, in particular, younger people, poorer people. I have done door-to-door -door surveys hmm. and, you know, going, tracking around, finding the places where people live and, you know, back alley dwellings. Um, and it requires a great deal of trust to fill out these forms. And frankly, this government is not earning trust from an awful lot of people, you know, particularly uh, people of immigrant backgrounds. Brian, the president is not happy. The president called this from Japan, where he's attending G20, uh, called this a ridiculous ruling by the Supreme Court. And he suggested that maybe, we know that they have to get these, these census forms printed. July 1st was presumably the deadline. Now we're not sure what's going to happen. And the president suggested that he might find a way to halt the 2020 census until this issue is resolved by the lower courts. Well, it's mandated by law. There's not much the president can do, but his uh, casting aspersions on the court was his favor favorite approach for dealing with this. Well, one thing that I would do in his shoes is not cast aspersions, but actually capitalize on what the dissent said. I mean, four members of the court disagreed with this and made pretty strong arguments. That now, Clarence Thomas said... Uh, 
this is the first time I can recall that we looked at the underlying reasons <laughs> right. that an executive agency wanted to do something. We should have examined it on the face of it. Yeah. Go ahead. Justice Thomas made the point that this court is deciding that it thinks the administration is fibbing a bit about its intentions, and that that's not the court's place to decide. If, if the administration is putting forth a reasonable reason, whether it's their real reason or not, whether they have ulterior motives or not, it's not our place to, to intervene. If I were Trump, that's what I would hit upon. The fact of the matter is, for the federal government to move forward with the census, which, which it must do, it's hugely important to the operation of government and constitutionally mandated, I, as I've said earlier, I'm all for the Constitution. Say it's in the Constitution. Yeah, I'm all for that. <laughs> and they've got to have this decided by the end of summer to have this move forward. So the opponents have won because the time clock has run out. There's two things on this. Number one, I, I think it's uh, it, this decision is very interesting in, in that it's kind of proof that the Supreme Court doesn't live in a complete bubble mm. because we had because we had right. those 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 documents coming out of North Carolina. Yeah, the Hofeller documents. But the Hofeller, the Thomas Hofeller do documents, which p put forward a plan to to use sense, uh, the the citizenship question off a census in order to 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 boost Republican chances uh, elsewhere, and it fits precisely into this partisan gerrymandering mm -hmm. decision because it would because you have so many state legislatures, so many state constitutions that don't that, that don't tell you how redistricting reapportionment must be done. It doesn't say you have to do it by uh, like the U.S. Constitution makes it pretty clear. It has to be done by total population. State constitutions, including Georgia's, doesn't do that. So, uh, real quickly, because we got to get to a break. So, the Hofeller study came to light after the court had already heard arguments on this issue. But the Hofeller study, of course, shows Hofeller had presented this plan by which, if you had the citizenship question, you can stack Republican districts even more strongly in favor of Republicans. So, Jim's point, I think, Andrea, is. It may not have been in the in the arguments made in court. It may not have been in what was presented to them, but they are they obviously read about it in the newspapers. Well, <laughs> well it's good to see the court, you know, taking a taking a look at what actually happens in the real world. We don't always we don't always get the advantage of that. Um, but I think this is a you know it's a hugely impactful uh, decision. There hasn't been a citizenship question on the census since 1950, yeah. um, and so. The civil, the folks who are proponents of the Civil Rights Act uh, and the Voting Rights Act never seemed to think it was uh, to their advantage right. to have this question on the census. So it's quite curious uh, for um, the current administration to think that somehow all of a sudden they're in favor of voting rights right. for people of color. Got to get to another break. We're going to come back and talk. We're going to talk about partisan politics, which means, Andrea, I know you don't want to be part of that conversation. ACLU doesn't want to dip right. into that. So. Um, we're going to thank you for being thank here, and uh, and we'll watch your lawsuit progress with great interest. It was a pleasure to great. have you here this great. afternoon. It was a pleasure to be here. I hope to come back. Thank you, Andrea great. Young. Thank We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. The countdown has begun. The end of GPB's fiscal year is almost here. Your support will help us wrap up the year on strong financial footing so we can continue to serve you in the months ahead. Your donation right now will be matched dollar for dollar thanks to a generous leadership gift from Pembroke Advanced Communications, Mariana Height and Elizabeth Norman. Please go to gpb.org or call 800-222-4788 and thank you. The music you're hearing is not from a techno band. It's an orchestra of amino acids. I'm Ira Flato. 
This week on Science Friday, why scientists are translating these building blocks of life into music. Plus, what sparked an obsession with paternity testing? It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. 3 o'clock this afternoon on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. We're back. Uh, all right, very quickly, we've only got about six minutes to talk about this. Jim Galloway, we've now seen the first uh, Democratic debates, 10 and 10, two nights in a row. And um, I I'd like to talk about it from a Georgia perspective, if we can, for a minute. Last night, when Joe Biden was on the stage, uh, the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Bottoms, was in the audience sitting next to Jill Biden. And after the debate was over with, she announced uh, her support. She endorsed Biden for president, which is interesting because most people who watch the debate thought uh, this was a pretty weak performance by Biden. And you wonder if that's why it was the why that <laughs> yeah. that that endorsement was was kind of put out there to, to see if they could change the topic. Yes, a bit. they did not release the endorsement until well after the debate was over with. So you right. may have a point. And, and they did it from Miami. Yeah. And it wasn't done. It wasn't done from here. Uh, but it, it it's very obviously you've got a split uh, happening uh, within the Georgia Democrat party because uh, because Nikema Williams who we had here the, uh, last week the chairman uh, who chairs the Democratic Party in, of Georgia she was in Miami she saw Biden's performance and she was very very hot under the collar yeah she, she I was just looking for her uh, quote and basically, uh, she said, as a black woman in the South leading a state Democratic Party, I will make sure our party recognizes all that Kamala uh, Harris did out there uh, uh, in, in terms of her uh, performance in the debate. She said her heart was broken by uh, Joe Biden. I think mm -hmm. I've characterized that correctly. I think that's right. I saw her post. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I, I love Joe Biden. I, I always have. Um, and my heart broke a little bit last night, too. I have to say, I was, um, I was very upset by what he said about busing and and I thought his performance overall was really weak and and concerned me that that perhaps he's not he's not up for this fight um but it's early I mean we all want we all want things to be decided right now and we've still got a long long ways to go so I I haven't quite given up on my friend Joe um completely but I will say this Kamala Harris was on fire yeah she was amazing last night absolutely amazing and she gets to be the winner out of the debate rounds as far as I'm concerned I think Elizabeth Warren also had a really strong performance but unfortunately she was on day one and we're not ever going to talk about day one again because we're just going to talk about day two <laughs> I don't know I think people came away saying isn't it interesting the two nights in a row it was the women on the stage who had the strongest performances but Brian you might first of all why do you think what's the calculation for Mayor Bottoms to endorse at this stage in the race. I'm not quite sure I understand the need to do that right now. Uh, I understand the need from Joe Biden's perspective. Well, sure. I don't, so I don't really understand it from hers. And, and maybe there's a relationship there that I don't know about. And I and there, there must be. And, you, and, and, and to, to her credit, she's buying stock when it's low. You know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's right. When you do that, we know you can sell really high. I mean, she's going to be like, <laughs> she's going to be, like, you know, Secretary of State or something in a right. Biden administration for right. this. Yeah, it did Jeff Sessions what? a lot of good, didn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, he did get a job for That's a while. For a while. He got a foot in the door. So here, here's my thing. As a political communicator who's been in debate prep for many things and uh, uh, for many times, uh, and, and in high stakes situations, not as much as a presidential debate, but. Uh, I know that Biden's got good people around him who were prepared for that. He's not listening to them. 
you can tell this guy, look, I, I've done this 50 years. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I don't need your advice. That's what I saw last night. I saw arrogance of somebody not listening to the advisors around him. Because if he went up there without a canned response, that he should have said, how dare you question my position on civil rights. I've done X, Y, and Z. I was part of the first minority presidency, and I was his second in command. He should have de passionately defended his record. Instead, he got a bizarro response about why he was for busing, uh, against busing from 40 years ago. I was shocked by how bad his response was, and I want this to be the follow-up question at the next debate. Okay, Senator Harris. Uh, segregation remains a serious problem in this country today. We all agree on that, right? Democrats, Republicans agree. We're still a highly segregated society. Do you support federal mandates for busing today? Make them answer that question. So I think uh, Republicans got a lot of help out of last night, uh, uh, Jim and Stacey. Uh, the question was asked, Medicare for all? Would you go to government health insurance rather than private insurance, and every person on that stage raised their hand, locking themselves in. Now, Kamala Harris this morning is trying to backpedal. She's now saying, oh, I thought I heard the question was, would I give up my private insurance in favor of uh, Medicare for all? But, but in fact, um, there are 180 million people in this country who have group insurance or private insurance. That seems like a losing argument. I'm not sure about the, the hand-raising. Um, Everyone. I may, have, I may have been going to the kitchen to get a glass of wine at that Everyone. point. Everyone. But, but, but what I do know is that the majority of the Democratic candidates running for president, to my memory, the major candidates, um, are not for plans that would require everyone to give up their private health insurance. I think you saw many people talking about um, we need to make uh, the Medicare option available for those that don't meet the current age requirements. And the thought is that likely this would be a better system, it would be a cheaper system, and eventually folks would gravitate toward it, and then the, the market would take care of the more expensive private policies. But nonetheless, you've got a significant number of Democratic candidates who are saying, uh, who are endorsing Medicare for all. And, and to, to, to me, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the big losers, I think, on, on, in the Thursday night debate uh, was Barack Obama. Because basically, you're erasing uh, the the, your, the his 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 golden his accomplishment. Legacy. His golden <laughs> accomplishment was was the Affordable Care Act, yeah. and now you're saying that you need to dump it for something else. Uh, at the same time, you're also you're also dismissing his his number two. I I still say that uh, Brian, it is so early in the game, and that all of the people like me who are you know trying to analyze what's happening are mistaking our interest in what's happening right now with the what the vast number of voters out there have. I think True. you can get away with a lot at this stage in the game absolutely. that you won't be able to six months from now. Absolutely, Bill. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and look, if Biden bounces back and gets on his game, then he's still going to be the front runner yeah. here for some time. Yeah. Now, this is on the on the heels, however, of him saying stuff about Jim Eastland and and yeah. and, Talmadge and and a few other things that didn't really and he was called into account for that. All right, I so, go ahead real quick. He needs to bounce back, or he's on a bad trajectory. All right, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about presidential politics in the months ahead. We got another debate coming up uh, later next month. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that, and of course, continue to talk about all the news in uh, the state. Jim Galloway, I'll see you again on Monday at two o'clock. So I look forward Absolutely. to that. Everybody have a great weekend. All of you out there have a great weekend, too. We'll see you on Monday at 2.